Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello there, this is Denise Michaels, and I am here with Charles L. Whitby II, CEO and founder of Eastgate Enterprises, and um, founder and president and CEO and king of the world of the Dapper Gentleman, and author of the forthcoming Brown Skin Green Money. Hi, Charles. Good morning, Denise. Hello, today is September the 28th, 2015, and today our topic is understanding the difference between ownership and loanership, and I think this is a really good topic because people get in trouble when it comes to borrowing money, and uh, so let's talk about it. Absolutely. We, I think our society today has, or in this, this time has really um, done a good job of making people believe um, things that are not necessarily fully true. And one of those things is the the um, concept of ownership. And when it comes to ownership, you know, you really don't own anything that has a lien, a mortgage. Uh, <laughs> Uh, a loan attached to it, um, any a type of debt, debt, a credit card debt, right? Any type of debt that's attached to it, you, you are, um, you that's loaning. You you have been loaned that until you pay it off, and so we've got this concept that people are calling themselves home homeowners, um, which you know is endearing, and yeah. I think a home is a is a good investment, but they don't really understand the concept that if they default on that home over a period of time, then that home will no longer belong to them, and it is legitimately taken from them, which is not really ownership. Ownership is a state when you have something and it cannot be taken away from you legally. So I think, um, you know, i.e. if it's taken from you, it's stolen, you can file a police report, and you have some type of uh, maybe some type of insurance on it for theft, um, but you you can't put theft insurance on a home. <laughs> um, can't put what insurance? Theft insurance. Oh, theft. On a home. Yeah, yeah. Although you can put um, theft insurance on vehicles. Um, you can you can put theft insurance on the contents of a home. Right. 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 Typically, absolutely. If you itemize those properly on in your um, your insurance according to the insurance company's rules, and then you know. But the point of this matter is, the bank can take it anytime they want if you don't do what you agree to do. And so, I think people need to understand that ownership is the goal, um, and ownership should be the goal you know, um, 
as soon as possible. Obviously, most people in the United States cannot afford to just go out and buy cash at home. So, you know, right. however, the concept, you know, of a 30-year mortgage is pretty, um, it, it's, it's, I guess it's pretty, well, I guess I should say this. A house note is interpreted many times by the payment for the monthly payment as opposed to the amount you're actually paying and the term that you're going to pay over. And the faster you are able to, you know, pay that off, the faster you will come into actual ownership. And ownership is what really perpetuates generational wealth. It's the fact that, I mean, if you look back into the times of early, the early history of the United States, wealth was really, um, a measurement of wealth was really the land that you own. Handing down land to your kids. Exactly, exactly. And so, Um, go ahead. um, You know, some people say, you know, like, are you familiar with Robert Kiyosaki? I am. Okay. So, you know, and we don't have to include any of this if you don't want to, but there are authors like Kiyosaki who say you're better off renting. Right. Right. Yeah, because... You know, if there's someone reading your book that's read Kiyosaki as well, how do you feel about that argument? um, I I don't necessarily disagree with that. I I have mixed feelings about, about renting. Uh, some people say if you rent, um, you could be using that money towards uh, a mortgage, and I agree with that. That's that's money that you could put towards. However, um, I think it's important to understand interest and compound interest. And so right. in the course of a 30-year mortgage, if you have a $200,000 home, you're paying over $400,000 over that 30 years for that home in a uh, you know typical 5 to 6%. Uh, rate for a mortgage or whatever, so it's um, so the the argument that Kiyosaki is making is that you know with compound interest, you're either way you're kind of throwing money out, and then when you're renting, you're not obligated over this period of time to be in this. I mean, typically leases are can be less than six months sometimes, so you can have the, the flexibility of getting out without having to the struggle of a real estate agent and trying to bring someone in. Selling and all that. The other thing is, is I've heard, and I don't know if this is true or not, so tell me if I'm crazy, that if you, and of course this would depend on the amount of your mortgage every month, but if you pay like an extra, let's say $100 every month, that $100 goes to principal and it pays things off much, much faster. I don't know. I, yeah, absolutely true. Um, I've seen the, the calculations, and maybe we could do some research and grab um, some of those uh, linkages to, you know, the how that actually starts eating away. I mean, it's it's kind of, again, the compound effect, that over time just doing a little bit more um, takes away a big chunk. Of if you got to think about a thirty a thirty year mortgage is three hundred and sixty months or wait yeah twelve yes. times yeah that would be three hundred yeah three hundred sixty months. months so 
it's still early for both of us. <laughs> I know, right? So over over three hundred and sixty months, if you pay an extra hundred dollars over uh, half of those, right, eighteen, um, you you knocked out of all. I think it was that that math is eighteen thousand um, dollars of principal, which is not going against your interest. Um, which is not being compounded in the interest, I should say, from the interest right. rate. So it, it does it, it does knock off years off your mortgage, and so that's something that a lot of um, a lot of financial uh, experts recommend that. I can barely hear you. You're, you're, it's like you turned your head away a little bit. So now let me ask you this, Charles: Do you rent or do you own right now? I rent. You rent, okay? Because okay. my my goal is to buy cash. So you're saving so you can buy cash. Right. 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 And because I'm single, I don't want to buy a house without <laughs> without uh, my wife. Someone else to help clean. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah. don't, I don't want to buy something that my potential wife doesn't want to live in. I know I paid I paid for a housekeeper this Saturday and uh, it adds up really really fast. It looks beautiful, but it adds up really really fast. So anyway, I haven't had anyone come in and do that for a few years, and I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to have someone do it. You know. So, right. Anyway, all right. So um, let's talk about definition of ownership. Right, and so like I think, you know. That that idea of if you owe something on it, you don't really own it. Right. Exactly. So that I mean, that's really the, the definition. <laughs> um, so I think I summed it up a little bit uh, earlier. Yeah, that's that's fine. When, I just didn't know yeah. if there was anything still out there about it. So, no, I mean, and then this ownership in relationship to assets. Tell me what. Right. So again, like a home, a car, which is not really a good asset. Um, yeah, because it's depreciated. Know, right. So some other type of real estate, um, some type of uh, equity in possibly a business or um, a stake in some other type of venture um, are are things that are assets. And um, there is a concept that some um, some financial uh, savvy individuals use, and that's you know if you do if you do um, borrow um, that you borrow with the uh, basically you borrow to make an investment, and then that like for example, like if you use a mortgage, for example, you buy a mortgage for a property that you will rent out. And so the money that you owe is money that's being um, basically paid back by other people. So you're not paying the money back. And it's a real interesting principle, but I don't necessarily, I still don't believe that's ownership until that's paid off. But it's it's a very uh, savvy way of, you know, moving into the goal of ownership. And I think at the end of the the, the, the point that I want to make here is that we want to 
as individuals who are trying to better ourselves from an economic perspective, we should be looking at ways strategically to move towards ownership faster. Let's just take, I have a a friend who um, who took out a mortgage for a duplex. And so he lives in one side of the duplex and he would rent out the other side of the duplex and the renter was paying for the mor- the coverage of the mortgage and he was paying as though he was paying himself rent to pay extra on the mortgage to move himself into ownership faster so that duplex becomes a real asset for him to have equity in and he could do whatever he wants with it. He could pass that down to his children. He could sell that off for extra cash flow to maybe acquire some other asset. Um, But we have to understand that the relationship with assets is that um, an asset is something that is not on your debt books. It's something that you have that you do not owe money. And I think people don't really look at a an asset as something that's not attached to a debt note. And there are some the, people there are some people that think certain things are investments that I do not think are investments. Okay. Okay. Um for example, um some people look at a car as an investment because it sort of improves their image, so to speak. Um, you and I, we're on the same page. We see a car as a depreciating asset. Um, another thing is like jewelry. Some people think jewelry is an investment. Um, I don't, you know. I don't know. In, or, or art or something like that, which is funny because I just had this thing like fall and crash on me this morning. <laughs> <laughs> so... Anyway, what do you think about those things that are not like a house or stocks or whatever that some people consider as an investment? I would I would say that those things may they may have value that hold, but I would not really consider those to be investments. I would I would consider those to be um, valuable items, <laughs> items that have value um, and and. But a lot of times, the subjective value, value, depending on whether or not, you know, someone else wants to buy that or if over time someone else will value I just take, you know, jewelry for an example. You know, if you buy um, a, a diamond or, or whatever. So I think a diamond is, a, is an investment if you're in the diamond business. Right. <laughs> and, exactly. You know. If you're in the business of a certain, um, and, and your your the the obtaining of that you know item or whatever or group of items is something that you use you're using to distribute to bring in some type of trade value. Absolutely, that's an investment. But if you're just it's a keepsake to your point. If you're just you, know, you just wanted to, to improve your image. Wait, wait. Yeah, I lost you. I lost you. You must have okay. moved. Okay. If you're doing, if you're doing it to improve your image, um, that that's not really an investment unless your image is, re- if, unless your business is related to jewelry, 
and then maybe it becomes a marketing investment, right? You you wearing the jewelry, like if you're in the jewelry business, you sell jewelry and you wear the jewelry um, that you provide and people see it because you're quote-unquote modeling it. And at that point, it could be considered a marketing investment. But if you're not in the business, it's, it's really not. Right. That would be that would kind of be my stance on that. Like Some people, business. and this and this hits close to home with your other businesses. You know, they'll they'll uh, they'll say uh, uh, a good suit is an investment, like investment dressing and that kind of stuff. It's not an investment, but it could net you benefits in other ways. Sure, I mean, absolutely could. Uh, I, I think you. That's where you begin to you prioritize purchases and you think about, okay, well, um, again, going back to the budget that we talked about, if you have discretionary income after you've done your, your, you know, paying of your uh, necessities and then the saving, putting things away for your future and, you know, um, taking care of possibly, you know, the future of your children or whatever, while putting things away, if you got discretionary income after that, then you prioritize purchases. And yes, at that point in time, you know, dressing becomes important if you're in an environment where promotions or business um, acceptability is related to dressing, then, you know, some people would consider that an investment. I'll probably use a different term as more as a value add. Um, it's probably the, the the phrase that I would use, you know. So dressing well is a value add to your professional career, your your business career, but it's not an investment because you're not in the business of dre- buying, selling, suiting, or dressing right. or whatever. It's a, it's just a value add to to maybe you know. Obviously, we live in a in a society where image is important. And you can't go into a job interview at a bank with, you know, shorts on and a T-shirt. Uh, you probably get thrown out because at this point in time, that's not business acceptable at most banks. But there's probably like three banks in the country that you could probably do that. And they're probably in California. But the, um, the fact of the matter is, those is, I, I, would, I would give it the phrase value add. What would you say is a good investment? Um, I think a good investment is, you know, in, um, again, in in property, I would say um, business, uh, businesses with a, a strong plan. Um, I would say government. I would say bonds of sorts, right? Because at that point, you you become um, a lender to the government, to a city, to to businesses. I would uh, so financial instruments. I would say that gold is a good investment. Um, I, I would say that uh, currency could be a good investment, right? If you're if you follow uh, currency markets. And you have like that strength. Foreign currency. I'm sorry, foreign currency. Yep, um, is is a good investment if you understand it, or if you're working with someone who understands it, it can be a good investment. 
Um, I would also say that uh, uh, let's see what else would I consider a good investment. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, like this uh, stocks and mutual funds, and then other types of equity partnerships, right? So, uh, private equity, um, which I don't know that under everybody would understand, but you know, having having a stake in 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 businesses that are doing something. And again, investing in any anything that if you're in business is going to be to help you be able to distribute and bring in an income, um, those things I would consider to be investments. And then also education would be an investment, absolutely an investment. Sure, um, you talked about that before since we've been doing right, this. Right, right, right. And, you know, I want to be specific. That oh, wait, I lost you. I lost you. You must have moved away or something. I'm sorry. Multiple types of um, education. That could be, you know, formal, which is degrees, or it could be trade schools, or it could be, um, I would say, books are investments. You know, I don't know if people would categorize that as education in the traditional sense. I lost sense. you again. It's in the traditional sense, I'm not sure if people would qualify that as, as education, and but books are investments. You know, they especially if they're targeting areas that help you to um, self-improve or to learn more about a skill or... Something that helps you grow as a person. Right. Right. Right, because there might be a book that's not necessarily about, you know, business or your trade, but if you read a book that um, helps you become a more confident person, you know that might help you in your in your trade or livelihood. Absolutely, I, I I can you know share personal insight on that. I read a book called The Magic of Thinking Big by Dr. David Schwartz. Right. And that book was really about dreaming and believing in yourself and I think that book is really what put me over the edge to really go ahead and start doing all the business stuff that I'm doing is because I started believing hey other people are doing this and doing it well but they started off believing that they could so why can't I you know I mean and and so he wasn't necessarily talking about anything specific but the general concept, it was, it's not considered a business book, it's considered a self-improvement book, but the general concept was inspirational enough to me to get started with, you know, some business. Well, to me, it was an investment, you know, and I don't even know that I had to, yeah, I bought the audio book, I was going to say, I might have, I might have just got that out of the library, but I bought the audio book. Right. So um, let's go back to you. Only have two items on the on the outline for um, this particular chapter. Um, what? Let's talk about a definition of borrowing. Okay. So borrowing is when you have something in your possession that you either have to 
repay um, or have a term of payment before you own it or that you have to give back (laughs) because it does not, in essence, belong to you. Right. Like you may have title to a house, but you don't really own that house because you're paying a mortgage every month. Right. And then, the, you know, after you've paid it off, then the title becomes clean. <laughs> and so at that point, you know, there's still some, even though you have a title, you don't have a clean title that basically has just you. I mean, there's, the bank is associated with your title. Right, right. Like the bank owns a much larger portion of it than you do. <laughs> right. Right. Same can be with a car, you know. So You know, and the, the other thing that, that's really important to understand is there, there are certain agreements whereby um, you you invest or you put your money in, you, ac- you accumulate equity or you have equity, and whether you pay anything more or not, you maintain your equity. And that doesn't happen with a car or a home. If you foreclose on a home, all the money that you paid into that home is gone. Right, right. You know, it's so tempting, the society in which we live, and this has a lot to do with marketing, right? It's Mm -hmm. like people live these, like, borrowed lifestyles, right? It's like they're leasing their car or they're making payments on their car. They're buying designer things that they're making payments on, you know. And at least with when it comes to cars, you know, what they do is they make it look like it's so fun. You know, it's fun, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they they sell fun, almost like, you know, McDonald's sells fun when it comes to little kids, you know. And... And I think people's lives are so serious today because we're dealing with, you know, global competition and keeping up with technology and everything else. It's like fun sounds pretty damn appealing, you know? Right, right. And and, and the truth is, like, right now, Charles, I'm thinking about starting to look for a car, you know, and, like, the car I have, there's nothing wrong with it. It operates fine but I'm over 100,000 miles. It's 107,000 miles. It's a 2005, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's got a couple little scrapes and, you know, on it. Not not much, but, you know. Um, and yet, if I keep driving it, you know, I don't have any kind of payment. Or, you know, if I decide that I want to pay cash, it's like, there goes. I'm like draining this big, huge chunk out of my bank accounts if I pay cash for it, you know. So there, right. you know, there's this push and pull on that, you know. So I don't know. I mean, what do you think about this idea of, you know, we have this, the, a lot of people live borrowed lifestyles, and it's very tempting, you know, and, and they sell fun, you know. I, I totally agree with that. I believe that I was just talking on Saturday with the individual about decisions that we make based off emotions. Um, That's what the sales process is. The sales process is to get you to make a decision based off how you feel 
or my how marketing, My marketing uh, rule number four is people buy based on emotion and they back it up with logic. Yep, exactly. Yep. I, I'm sorry, I interrupted you mid-sentence. I apologize. Go ahead. No, no, no. I mean, that's totally true. And I, I, I we, commercials are, people who develop commercials are psychologists that are oh, experts yeah. in, in how people respond to different stimulus, stimuli. And, that's definitely what happens. Like you watch a, a commercial, there's some tw- some type of emotion that's played into that prompts you to want to buy, and that's right. just that's all marketing. And so when people are emotionally tied to a buying decision, they figure out how to buy it to ha- to have what they want, even though they may not have the money to to own it. And so they will go into this borrowing mode just because of a of a feeling, and it's absolutely a temptation because you're inundated with that all around you, and there's nobody really with a um, a resounding voice that's telling you, wait a minute, th- re- rethink about that. <laughs> you may not need that. You may not need to go in it. There's there are no commercials, you know. Well, there are very few commercials that are presenting that message. Like, consider be, this carefully. Exactly. <laughs> you know? It's a big commitment. I'm, consider it carefully. You know, even even if you look at the ads for uh, some of these uh, medicines, right, or this, you know, these... All the drugs. Like, yeah, all the drugs, right? So there's this incredible, you know, lifestyle display of happiness, and now I can do things that I couldn't do before, but then at the end of the commercial... You know, the side effects may include brain aneurysms or heart attacks and strokes. Suicide. Right. (laughs) Well, people, they don't even listen to that because the message that the commercial, the the picture that the commercial paints is so attractive that they really disregard, you know, the whole side effect. Like like this happy couple walking on a beach or something, you know. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know what I mean, else they do in those commercials? I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but I just I started noticing this about a year ago. Like, let's say it's a blood pressure medication. They'll say, my high blood pressure or my diabetes or my ulcerative colitis. It's like they want you to take ownership of that disease. Mm-hmm. You know? That's true. Another, another thing that's, that where marketing has... Uh, really, really convinced people to change their thinking about something is when it comes to, and this isn't like an expensive thing or anything, but when it comes to like cleaning products, you know, mm-hmm. it's like there's so many people who walk around saying, oh, I'm a germaphobe. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, 20 years ago, people didn't walk around saying they're germaphobes, but now it's like, oh, I won't touch a handle on, on a door in a public place, or I won't, you know, I mean, you know, they want to use like the bathrooms where it has like the automatic flushing thing or whatever, but it's like you have people walking around saying, I'm a germaphobe, I can't stand this, and I really believe that comes from marketing. We didn't have people who called themselves germaphobes. 20 years ago, maybe Howie Mandel, the the comedian, you know, like he's always been that way or someone who's like clinically OCD or something. But but like these commercials for cleaning products have convinced us 
that we have to eradicate every germ. And the truth is, if you do eradicate every germ, your immune system doesn't have the ability to fight back. Exactly. It's, it's though we buy into philosophies that are marketed to us that are not um, that are not conducive to our well being, <laughs> and it's it's unfortunate because we we live in a society that um, we we are a desire based economy, and we're not necessarily a needs based economy. I mean, you think about the the many types of cars that you can purchase and the price tags and like some of these for example let's say Cadillacs and I'm a huge I love Cadillacs I think they're the oh, most they're beautiful. beautiful I think they're one of the most beautiful American made cars you know and have maintained that standard for for a long time but the fact of the matter is if you go buy Escalade it's the same thing as a Tahoe it's the same body with different um, you know, lights and different emblems and different decorations. And because you're paying for the Cadillac name, you're paying like $20,000 more. Because well, but the of, drive frame is the same. Exactly. It's the, I mean, it's the, it, the vehicle is exactly the same for all intents and purposes. <laughs> I mean, right, same right. in, you know, the, the, the infrastructure of that vehicle and even the body frame is the same vehicle as what you're what, for a Cadillac you're going to pay you know possibly $20,000 more for a vehicle that's really the same thing as if you were to, to get a Tahoe and even those are overpriced right so you so it's like this whole image you know we buy into image we buy into oh I need a I, I need an eight-seater vehicle because I have a lot of kids okay that's fine but do you need an Escalade <laughs> I mean, right. is that really right. the, what you need? Because it's not about need, it's about desire. And so, right. and then, and then you're not only paying more for the vehicle, you're paying more for insurance. You know, if you get a big vehicle, you know, it gets lower gas mileage, right? Exactly. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, so I, th- I think you know that that has really been the driving force because. What what businesses have done is businesses have learned how to capitalize on financial opportunities, and the consumer has become the victim. And we need to change that role to switch around where we become capitalists as consumers. We begin to become, maybe come out of the, the, the phrase consumers and become producers of some sort and then allow other people to consume from us or other businesses or create opportunities for us to be on the, um, to increase our income capacity and to accumulate wealth because really at the end of the day, these companies are concerned about accumulating wealth. Most of them that we see on the commercials, et cetera, they have shareholders, and those shareholders are concerned about increasing their share equity and the value of their equity to increase so that they can receive return on their investment. And and so we see that corporations, which are built by people, groups of people, and have financial backing from people, have this strategy correct, and they're their strategy is cut costs and increase profits. 
<laughs> and so that if we see that that model works for businesses, then we should take that model into our home, cut costs and increase earnings. That I mean, that just that is what is so simple that that's what the financial that's, equation is. That's the basic formula. So <laughs> exactly. You have here down, uh, you wanted to talk about borrowing in relationship to assets, which in the business world, they call that your debt-to-income ratio. Right. Right? Exactly. Um, so I think it's really important for people to understand that um, <sighs> you for the discussion of creating generational um, wealth or generational prosperity, it's very important that individuals and, you know, parents or patriarchs of families and matriarchs of family understand that it's important to, again, we talked about the passing on of land. It's, It's important to pass on assets. And when we have the because we have, uh, let's just say, God forbid, you know, you pass away. A person pass away, um, I mean, God forbid, it's going to happen to all of us, but God forbid it happens right now. But let's just say right now someone passed away. When they pass away, what is left over is absorbed, you know, by the family in, in many cases. Um and it's not so much about because some some stuff doesn't translate over, but it's the important thing is what do you leave behind? Um, there's a a principle out of the Bible that King Solomon wrote, and it says that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, and the the concept is that. A person who's responsible or loving, they make decisions and and create um, a situation that's not just about them. And this is kind of go back into our community discussion and our family discussion that when you make decisions, it doesn't just impact you. And so accumulating debt is not something that just impacts the person who has the debt. Um, I believe one of the largest problems in the African-American community, the reason why we haven't been able to sustain wealth or, or you know, see the number of uh, people increasing in wealth in, in, in significant amounts. I mean, you've got uh, your outliers. You've got a couple people who, you know, what they call, who, what, what, what is called, uh, they're on the come up. Or they came up um, from where they, for from where they originated from. You still have this challenge that they come up, they spend, and they don't leave anything for their children or generations after them. So yes, they they position themselves personally in a better place, but didn't leave anything for their children to take over. And I had a conversation with another pretty successful uh, young black man, and we had that conversation 
and he was really concerned that a lot of his friends, he, he graduated from Yale, uh, and he's from Brooklyn, and, you know, he knows a lot of people. He, he traded on, he was a, he worked as a, a trader on the stock market with Goldman Sachs, and, you know, he knew a lot of African-Americans who did well for themselves that didn't think in terms of generational wealth. They were like, yeah, I made it. I'm going to buy this. I'm going to spend this amount of money. And they're never putting anything away. So basically they never really dug their family out of the hole. They just bought stuff, (laughs) you know, and it wasn't as though they were living a lifestyle that would leave their children anything when they left because they would make a lot and then spend a lot. So I think that's... Go ahead, finish your your thought there. I have a question for you. Yeah, so a lot of that spending was in in acquiring things because they had a high level of income. They could they could get uh, larger loans and bigger mortgages, and so they would use their leverage of income to accumulate more debt as opposed to using their income to acquire more assets. Right. So what do we owe to others? For example, if a person, you know, I mean, I get it when it comes to your kids, of course, you know, because you brought them into the world and everything. So, you know, whatever you can do to set aside or have, you know, investments in place or whatever so that your kids have something, you know, when you're gone, you know, that's a good thing. But what do we owe to others in terms of if you're a very, very successful person, all right, um, it it seems to naturally follow that you're going to be the person who's hit up by, you know, quote, unquote, friends and other people saying, can I borrow a couple thousand dollars? Can I do this? Can I do that? It's like, what's up with that? <laughs> yeah, so I... I... I have um, I have a strong opinion about that. Okay, the good. Opin- the opinion is, and and that's the motivation for this book, is I've run into situations where, I mean, it's it's just like the old saying: if you if you if you you know give a man that's hungry a fish, he'll eat for a day. But if you give him, if you teach him how to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. And so I think what it comes down to is. Uh, I think the most powerful thing that you can share with people is knowledge. If you're able to, you know, acquire or obtain or achieve or succeed to a certain levels of, you know, financial success, however you qualify that, I think your onus is not necessarily to give to the people who say, hey, I need this. I think what is a very powerful situation is to put them in a position to to help them get to a position where um, that you can you can maybe teach them some of the principles that you learn to get where you are or to allow them to um, understand the, that hey this is I can definitely help you in this area but I need you to do X, Y, Z. There's a scripture that says that um, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower 
is servant to the lender. And, I mean, if you just really break that down into um, the very essence of what that saying is, people who have money are able to, hello? 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 Hello, Denise? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, oh, I heard some like uh, almost like the talk show thing. I don't know if it has an expiration time. Yeah, no, I'm here. Okay. uh, Do you know if it's still recording? Did you hear what I heard? What did you hear? It was like a blue doo doo. Oh no! I don't know if it was talk show or not. Yeah, yeah, no, I didn't hear. I dropped something on my desk. It was like a little clinking sound, but um. But no, like like an interruption in the call or something. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a like a a tone in the in the call. Yeah, no, I've been I've been hearing okay. you all along, so okay, I think I we're good. Making, me... I was just making sure that I didn't lose you because it it sounded like the ending of a recording or something. Yeah, no, see, I set these recordings up for two hours. Okay, you know. So it's like, I mean, not that we're ever going to go two hours, but just so when we hit one hour, it doesn't like just automatically. You know, my choices are 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, and two hours. So I set them up for two hours. So if we slop over a couple minutes, it's not going to cut you off or anything. So anyway, so you were talking about this idea of um, helping out people who want to borrow by sort of empowering them to um, help them or maybe in some way have them work for what they're borrowing from you. Exactly. Um, because if if the if the servant, I mean, the borrower is serving to the lender, then there's, I mean, if you just think about the whole, uh, the, the whole way the economy is set up, you have to work to pay your bills because you owe people money. So you're indirectly a servant to people because you have to go to work because if you don't go to work and you don't get that paycheck, you don't, you're not able to pay that bill. And so that person or that entity can take away what is in your possession. And so that's the whole, the whole idea of being a servant and, you know, if someone is borrowing money, I, I I did this, and this is something I wrote in the material that before you and I connected, is I asked, I, I, I called it the debt experiment, where I, have, I would have people come to me and ask me for money, and I would say, okay, as long as you owe me this money, then when I need you to do something for me, you have to drop everything and do it. And I would have people like, no, absolutely no way. And so so I said, well, then you really don't want money from me because, you know, if if I'm doing you a favor, you paying me back is not a favor enough for me to be rewarded. The bank charges interest. If when when they give you money, they want something back in return. They don't want to just get their money back. And so I would have people that were really – you know, disgusted that I would even ask that. <laughs> so that was and your I, response was disgust. Right, right. But but people's disgust is not like that when the bank says, oh, yeah, if, if I give you $200,000 over 30 years, I want you to give me an extra $200,000. People don't get disgusted over that because psychologically they've been deceived 
to think because it's from a cultural perspective, everybody's doing it, that it's okay. Right. Right. So I think the onus on people who, you know, who are able to uh, to give and, and help people is to really put programs in place, put some type of uh, empowering knowledge or message together that helps people get put, I guess this, the, the term would be pull up their own bootstraps. But sometimes people need help with pulling up their bootstraps. And I think we, you know, the onus is we help them to do that without just giving them a fish. Right. Lao Tzu is the one who said, um, "Teach, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for life. Yeah. I think that, that's really... You know, Wait, I've step. lost you. I've lost I you. I think that's really the principle. And that's not to say, you know, I, I don't ever help people, you know, get out of funny situations. But when you start to see behavior patterns, then it's, it's you know, because sometimes people have, I, I mean, that's kind of why we teach about, you know, emergency funds. People have emergencies and there's, you know, and they need help. Uh, but if this, if, if you, if that emergency request is, becomes frequent, then there's something that's a root cause that needs to be addressed. Right. Right, right. So um, anyway, this is this is good stuff. So what's the difference? What's good debt and bad debt? I mean, you're saying that you're saving money so you can buy a house outright. I'm looking like we have a mortgage, so we don't own our house outright, but we have over time built equity. You know. Right. So what's? And I would say that. The, the statement is: If you're going to, if you're going to have debt, you know the the best debt. The best debt. Ooh, that's all debt. Um, well, that's kind of like the least of two evils when you're both right, right. present, right? You know. The, yeah, ahead. exactly. So if you're going to have debt, I mean, you know, debt where you can, um, where it's associated with, um an asset that we talked about earlier, right, that um, uh, an appreciating, uh, an asset that has the capability to appreciate, um, that is more, that will work better in your financial stature over time than a depreciating asset. I think, you know, many financial experts say that Wait, I'm losing um, you. You must have turned away from the phone or something. Yeah, uh, the, I was just switching hands. The that there is, I mean, I guess the the term is used good debt. I don't like that term, but uh, I would say I know <laughs> accept, acceptable debt. There you go. That's better. <laughs> there you go. Acceptable debt um, that can work towards your benefit. I'll just say that um, debt that have a has a possibility. To work towards your financial benefit would be, you know, uh, property related. If there's some real estate, can, yeah, real estate. And what about um, investing in a business? I, I think that has the capability as well because again, right. business we talked about um, is a is an asset. A business is an asset. 
uh, well, it, it should be an asset. It could be an asset if you have a strong plan together. But, yeah, I think those things are um, – but I think it, it should be very emphasized that the goal should be to own as soon as possible. So putting right. a plan together to own as soon as possible. Right. Okay. Good. 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 Um, any more thought? Well, I mean, I don't have any credit card debt. You know, mm-hmm. it's like the one credit card I have. I pay it off every month. I mostly just have it because it builds your FICO score. You know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, actually, it doesn't really build your FICO score unless you take a lot on it and then you pay it mm-hmm. off. You know. So like. You know, if you put 200 on it in a month and then you pay it off every month, that that doesn't really do it. How important are, I know this isn't about debt, but it kind of is. You know, it's like if you're going to get into a mortgage or something else where you're going to have to borrow money, you know, it's pretty important to have a good FICO score to get the best terms you possibly can. So... I'll make this really, really easy is credit scores, FICO scores are scores that qualify you to obtain more debt. And if your goal is to obtain more debt, then be very conscious of those scores and and the strategies that are implied or are utilized to build those scores. But if your goal is not to have accumulate more debt, I think, you know, it takes debt to build the score. It takes debt to ruin the score. <laughs> um, and so if you, you, you have to take a position on debt, a personal position on debt. And, the, and the, my personal opinion is that I heard it again, just so you know, a little um, um, my personal perspective is sure. Um, you know, I, I have a, I actually have a secured credit card, and the secured credit card is money that I put down, and so any so any money borrowed is borrowed against my own money. Against your own funds. Exactly, and so in essence, it's a way for me to build that score without having debt. And, that's true. That's true. You know, and so I think if people understand that principle, then sure, be very. You can be very strategic about building a score, borrowing off your own money. Right. And I think that's a way to to do. It. And that would actually be my recommended. Right. So okay. Okay. Good. Any closing thoughts on? Ownership and loanership. I, I think I would just say that in American history, the the principle that has really um, made the difference between the wealthy and the unwealthy is true ownership. And so our goal should really be for true ownership and not loanership. There you go. There you go. So, okay, good, good, good. Well, we are scheduled for Friday. I don't remember what time, but whatever time it is, we're scheduled for. 
I think it's fairly early, like 8 o'clock or 8.30 or something. I can't remember. I have to look at my calendar. Hold on. Let me just pull up my calendar just a sec. Um, oh, I have you at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. Does that still sound good? Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. Good, good, good talk, good conversation. Have a wonderful, wonderful week, and um, I will talk to you Friday afternoon. Sounds good, Denise. You as well. All right. Take care. Okay. You too. Uh Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.